the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, powerful stories, and full breakdowns on what the hell Antonio Brown just did today than The Athletic. Download the app, personalize it with your favorite teams and leagues, and get an ad free stream of content every single day at your fingertips. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track today, S P O T R A C, and get 40% off your first year subscription. Happy Sunday. My name is Mike Giannetti. Hitting this one early tonight because I felt the need to respond to the Antonio Brown situation, the outburst, the million dollar outburst, as Adam Schefter so coyly phrased it off of a tweet of ours today. Yeah, there's a lot to this. I have no idea what honestly happened. There's some speculation from the team. I don't know if we're ever going to hear from Antonio Brown on this, but I certainly can give you some numbers and I'll give you the the contract that he signed, what he's going to earn from that, what he didn't to earn from that, not just these incentives that I tweeted out, but also the, uh, you know, a per game bonus situation, maybe some payback from a base salary and a signing bonus if it gets to that point. I'll break down all those numbers as much as possible. And, and by the way, if this is it for Antonio Brown, where does he stand in terms of career earnings? And where does that rank in terms of wide receivers all time? So that's first up. And then back end of the show, I'm giving the people what they asked for, running backs, right? It's January. It's snowing in Buffalo where I am currently. Team by team breakdown of running backs for 2022 as best as I can do it in terms of contracts, right? Which ones seem like they're locked in, slam dunks? Which contracts say they definitely are locked in? A couple of really notable pending free agents, a couple of legitimate extension candidates, and then some, some, you know, a lot of question marks as, you, as you're going to have at that position right now based on how it's being rolled out. But team by team, it's pretty interesting. I will be posting a corresponding piece for that tomorrow, Monday, on SpotDirect.com. All right. Obviously, the feature today, unfortunately, as we've done in the past, is going to be Antonio Brown. Not for positive reasons, of course. Everybody at this point has seen the video the reaction, the what ifs, the comments from the Buccaneers themselves, Bruce Arians, you know, I'm not going to piece together that puzzle. I think it's pretty clear that, you know, something was, something happened from a roster standpoint and it set him off to the point of where he did not want to go back on that field. Even if he was asked to, he was done. And now the Buccaneers have complied. No official release until probably Monday at 4 PM Eastern. And remember, because it's past week 10, it is he's subject to waivers. So all the numbers I'm about to give to you will hold intact until Tuesday when, you know, teams have the opportunity to claim him on waivers. I'm going to say that's not likely, but it is, you know, that time of year. So crazier things have certainly happened. One year, $3.1 million was the base value of this contract. That is a $2 million signing bonus. That is a prorated base salary. And there are some per game active bonuses built into that of $900,000. Now, let's start with the per game active bonuses because certainly he's going to miss next week's. Including today's week 17 appearance. He had seven active appearances. So you're talking $300,000 and change. $370,000 for those seven active games. He only earns that money 
if he improves a certain amount of statistics from last year and or the Buccaneers passing statistics improve upon last year. Now, the latter looks a lot better than his personal statistics, although he has surpassed his yardage. His yards per game are up. His yards per reception are up, and he's tied his receiving touchdown total from last year. So there's a decent number of statistics. He's down in catches, and that's certainly one of the things we talked about today on Twitter and things like that. But I do believe he has enough in terms of hitting that threshold to earn the $370,000 in game checks per game bonuses. Base salary, about $917,000. Over an 18-week period, that, that pro rates. Why am I telling you this? I have a feeling if things got really ugly behind the scenes there and they may continue to get uglier or they may just wipe their hands clean and say, forget this. There, There's logic, there's reason to believe that the Buccaneers can go after some of this money. Now that's $51,000 of base salary for next week. And that is $111,000 from that $2 million signing bonus prorated for next week. It's nitpicky. You know, you need lawyers, you need arbitrators. AB has been through this before in both Pittsburgh and in Vegas. So, you know, I don't know that Tampa Bay wants to walk down that path, especially with the playoffs looming and, Certainly bigger fish to fry, but I'm just putting it out there. This is certainly a breach of conduct. You know, the Buccaneers can say all the right things right now. They can attack. They can pull back. They can do uh, a variety of things. What's certainly clear is that they're going to outright waive him. And once they do that, now his salary is guaranteed under a vested veteran rule. So in terms of the, the cap and the cash that we show on Spot Track, you're going to be, you're going to see. Everything I just showed you, the $2 million bonus, the $970,000 base salary, and about $370,000 a per game active bonus for seven games active. That's what it looks like right now for AB. Now, the incentives. You know, I'm not going out there saying this guy should have gotten these incentives. That's not the point of my tweet. I simply put out numbers because that's what I'm doing this time of year. And I'm going to do it with a few more players after I'm done with AB here. He was damn close. And whether or not that was a point of contention on that sideline or behind the scenes or as part of the play calling process, I don't know. But I can tell you this because I've been watching this team quite a bit. This was a point of contention last year and Brady went out there and made it and got it done and got AB's bonuses and got a couple other guys their bonuses. You know, this is not as flippant as it seems. You know, you can read these things online and just kind of blow, brush them off. These are a big deal to these guys, especially the guys that don't make $30, $40 million over the course of a contract like AB has, certainly like Brady does. This is a big deal to those fifth-year guys who are just getting to their first contract and have these things built in for the first time. Now, AB is a different animal. He has dropped down to a near-minimum contract because of his antics, because of his off-the-field stuff. So building these incentives into his contract is a big part of a big way for him to make somewhat, you know, what he would have made as a 33 year old wide receiver. Whereas three, three million base is pretty good value for, you know, the, uh, the production he's been given four touchdowns and whatnot, but you toss another million into that and another uh, half a million if they get to the Super Bowl and he's playing and things get a little bit, you know, friendlier for, for AB and his financial situation. So he had three catches and 26 yards the day before the outburst. That gives him, I believe, 
42 catches. So eight catches away, 50 some yards away, one touchdown away from $1 million cash. He had $333,000 bonuses for receptions, 40 yards and for touchdowns. And there were multiple thresholds of that. So this was just the first threshold. He was never going to get to the next one, which was 70 catches, 800 yards, seven touchdowns, maybe the touchdowns. You know, maybe he catches three touchdowns over the next two weeks, but we're not going to find out <laughs> because he falls just short of all three tiers, which would have combined for at least a million dollars. And that's gone. So you can say that he's made a ton of money. This is peanuts to him. He can find that shit in his couch. Fine. That's good for you. And you know, you can believe that. Would you be surprised if I told you how much he made? It's just over 80. So if we factor in those bonuses that I'm talking about, those per game active bonuses, he's going to be about 80.7, earned over now 12 seasons sporadically, of course. And look, he gave up a heck of a lot of money with the Raiders. He earned less than $861,000 there in a very short time with a heck of a lot of drama. You know, he earned a little over $5 million in his time in New England with Brady. The bulk, obviously, in Pittsburgh, where he earned just under $70 million in that, And now this is about $4.5 million in Tampa Bay for a season and change. But, you know, the injury stuff has been here. Certainly the vaccination card stuff took three paychecks away from him. There's a, there's a lot to deal with here. And I think we're done. I think it's pretty declarative that... What he did today was the nail in the coffin for whatever that's going to be for for the rest of his career. Uh, but from a financial standpoint, which is certainly where I want to continue to live, as far as I I can see with this, it's nine hundred seventeen thousand base salary, a two million dollar signing bonuses, and three hundred seventy thousand dollars per per game active bonuses, and that's it. And that's probably the last pay payment that uh, Antonio Brown will receive as an NFL player, if I had to guess. But talent always wins out. Always. That's why we're still talking about him now and, you know, not a retired player for four years because he has continually gotten his chance. And by the way, I would be remiss if I didn't say that's because of Tom Brady. And I have, I have a feeling quite a lot of what's going on even today was related to the fact that Tom Brady was pushing for this guy to, to, to be there to be active, to be prominent and, you know, just spitballing here. But I, I wonder if Tampa Bay pushed back finally and Brady said, no, we got to stop this. We, we've got, you know, Evans is healthy to some degree. We've got other options out there. And uh, I don't know, something certainly went wrong today that doesn't seem like it can be recovered. It seemed a point of no return, but financially speaking, you know, there's a lot of people in the world that would take 3 million and change for uh, seven weeks worth, which is essentially what he did on the field this year. Is that, is that it? Who knows? But 80 million plus made over 12 seasons. That is uh, a good chunk of change. And for all you out there destroying my tweet because you think a million dollars is nothing to him, you're probably right. And he's probably going to make that back in uh, social media earnings over the, over the weekend here, <laughs> you know, knowing how these things are all kind of structured now. But, it's one million he had right in front of him. And for one reason or another, whether it was te- the team's issue or his issue solely, that's not going to be paid out. By the way, his 80 million and change 
currently ranks 12th all-time among wide receivers, just behind Brandon Marshall, just ahead of Odell Beckham, who, you know, barring a contract next year, which I think is very likely, will pass AB for 12th. That'll be that. Mike Evans, by the way, already ahead of Antonio Brown, almost $82 million earned on the field in much less seasons, only eight seasons for Mike Evans. So there you go with that. Let's put a, uh, a let's put the AB stuff to bed for now until we have to. But I uh, I did want to say out there, there could be some money recouped here. So this story may not be completely dead just yet, but I do believe his NFL career is. All right, let's switch gears just for a little bit here and uh, finish off this first episode of 2022 with the running backs. Why am I doing this now? Um, you know, full disclosure, I'm in full off-season mode, as I've said a couple of times on the show in the past. I've done, I'm doing it by division this year for the NFL. So as you've maybe started to see on this, on .com, I'm going AFC East, AFC South, AFC West, AFC, et cetera, all the way through the NFL with comprehensive off-season breakdowns for every single team in that division. So you're going to have eight different pieces, four of which are already published on the site. I'm going to have some shows and some guests on specifically with some of those teams to kind of spitball some of these things that may be happening, some of the more notable storylines that are coming out of these off-season pieces. You know, the Russell Wilson situation, of course, what happens with the Browns next year, certain things like that, Pittsburgh's quarterback situation and whatnot. Uh, So that's happening right now. It's in motion uh, for the NFC as well. I should have the whole darn thing thrown up before week 18. That's my goal. So next by next Friday, all eight of those off-season pieces should be active. And then we can start to react to them. And like I said, break down some analysis for some uh, with some people that are closer to that than I am. But I'm also doing positional breakdowns. So call them tiers, call them assessments, call them kind of like future spitballing. Uh, but basically I'm taking the, the core positions. So quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, probably edge rushers, probably cornerbacks, maybe tackles, offensive tackles, because there's just an interesting crop of those right now. And uh, I'm going team by team and just giving a little bit, a little, you know, a couple of sentences. What's the situation with, for instance, the RB1 and the RB2 in terms of contracts for next year? What does it look like, like from a free agent standpoint, maybe some market valuations for players if it's, if it's pertinent. So I'm looking at the running back one and why am I starting with this one? Well, A, we've done a lot on quarterbacks already, and certainly we're going to round back into that because that dominates as it should. But it is the running back time of year. And if you're watching these games or you're dialed into fantasy or DFS, it's it's the time of the year when these guys kind of make or break not only their seasons, but their team's playoff chances. They are the superstars right now in a lot of these weather situations. And, you know, you're seeing some names pop up or crop up that maybe haven't in weeks, maybe even all season. Uh, you know, the Rashad Penny situation in Seattle is extremely invigorating. It's incredible what's happening with uh, with that offense to some degree, but because they're able to run the ball, which is what Pete Carroll has been trying to do for three years unsuccessfully now. So, you know, the Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson situation in New England is fascinating. Sony Michelle's complete rebirth with the Rams shocked a lot of us, myself included. And here's the thing. A lot of these names I just mentioned, pending free agents. And you're going to have that with short running back contracts as we tend to get. So if I just start at the top of this list with Arizona, a game I just finished watching, no James Conner in this game, Chase Edmonds, a complete ghost. And he can catch the ball out of the backfield and he did a few times against Dallas today. 
but there's two pending UFAs in a situation where Arizona has quite a few of that. You know, AJ Green, much of the defense. There's a lot of moving pieces on what was once the best team in football. And yes, they're going to be playoff bound, but their success has is kind of clunky in my opinion right now, and it's certainly inconsistent. But James Conner has been very good, and you know if they sort of slow played him back, and they're going to unleash him next week in the season finale and then into the postseason, I do think he's got a chance to really grab a hold of not only you know success for the team right now, but a future contract. And that's sort of what I'm projecting here. I think he's got a better chance of those two to return to this team. And injuries again, some COVID stuff. He's only at a $6 million valuation for me. It it takes quite a lot to get over that $10 million hump right now in terms of mathematical evaluations for these running backs. Some of these guys have done it. Um, You know, even even looking ahead to the next team and Cordell Patterson, a guy who is almost impossible to evaluate, but he's at a $9 million valuation right now. You know, he, he couldn't even hit that threshold and maybe he will, but at his age, I don't believe he deserves to. My point is this, we're going to have a lot of these little discussions kind of quickly as I run through this. Arizona's completely up. And unless they go back to the draft with a, with a second and third round pick and just start a refresh with a rookie contract, they're going to have to pay something here. You know, it could be somebody brand new, on a vet minimum contract. We've seen plenty of teams go that route and just kind of bite the bullet. Or like I said, I think James Conner has a real chance to win the job for 2022 in the next couple of weeks with Arizona. And I don't think it's going to break the bank at all. Two for 12, you know, maybe, maybe a 7 million guaranteed in terms of uh, a bonus, the 2022 salary, and then maybe 1 million of 2023. That's generally what we're seeing with a lot of these smaller running back contracts. And that's probably enough to get James Conner back in Arizona, by the way. You know, Patterson's his own animal. That's a team that has exploded offensively. And a lot of things have kind of fallen into place for that team. Matt Ryan is the question mark there. And certainly bringing back Patterson to basically run the offense through. It's him and Kyle Pitts and a lot of small pieces. So there's a lot of question marks. I'm not sure Patterson returns to that team. And if that means he hits the open market and a couple of those teams are looking for a, D, you know, a Debo Samuel light, which is sort of what Patterson has rounded into, I think there'll be a big number attached to that. Again, I don't know if it gets to 10 million because of his age, but he's got that kind of versatility. So that's where you're getting your bang for buck right now is if you can do it all. Baltimore is pretty much set as long as everybody comes back from injury. And by the way, that's basically every position they have, the quarterback included. You know, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards, if they're healthy for 2022, that's the tandem. And they're going to patch it together behind them as, as as needed. You know, Buffalo, a month ago, this piece that I'm reading right here that will be posted tomorrow morning would have said, I think Buffalo could revamp their entire running back core. All of it. Singletary, Moss, Breida, Taiwan, the works. I think similar to what I just said with James Conner, that Singletary has sort of uh, grabbed the reins here and they figured some things out. Maybe he's figured some things out. The offensive line appears to know how to, how to block properly for him in terms of his slashing versus, you know, torpedo mode. He's definitely coming back next year on the rookie contract. It's his final year, $965,000 minimum salary. Um, You know, Zach Moss has two and two left, two years, 2 million. I, 
he's got a very simple role right now that I don't think is going to change. He's basically a goal line threat or a, you know, a catch a breather kind of guy, but he's cheap. So it, it makes sense that they bring him back unless they want to bring in a veteran. And if they do, then I think there's a chance Zach Moss is traded for a sixth round pick. I think a real good chance actually. So that, that conversation has changed quite a bit over the past four weeks or so in Buffalo Carolina is the big one. I know McCaffrey's going to be on a lot of what if lists out there this offseason. I'm going to tell you right now before we get to that offseason that it's it's not going to happen. Now, he's tradable. We're at the point of the contract where he's certainly tradable. And is there a team that wants to drop a big contract, big, you know, big time playmaker like him in? Possibly. You know, maybe very possibly. But with the quarterback position in such flux and and that organization just Hell bent, it seems, on going up, not down. I'm not sure this is a team that will tank right now. It just doesn't seem like they're built to do so from an ownership standpoint. I think he sticks. He's fully guaranteed, uh, about $8 million guaranteed right now, and it is guaranteed for injury, by the way. Um, and there's over $26 million of dead cap attached to next season from a release standpoint. So I don't think there's any kind of movement with McCaffrey Certainly not from a release standpoint. I'm not I'm not going to anticipate a trade as well, though, you know, teams could be calling on that. And look, Jabba Hubbard is dirt cheap on that rookie contract. Three years, $2.7 million, none of it guaranteed. Uh, he can be moved on from whenever necessary, but I think he showed enough as a backup that with that rookie contract, it's going to stick. Let's start getting to the big boys. David Montgomery does have one year left on that minimum salary in Chicago. You know, this is your first big contract here. I've got him at about $12 million a year. He's in that Joe Mixon type, kind of mode, uh, Aaron Jones kind of mode, and I think that's exactly the kind of contract he's going to be seeking. Aaron Jones got four for 48, but the guarantee structure in Green Bay stinks. So you can use that as a baseline if you want, if, if you want to be David Montgomery, but you got to get a little bit more strength in terms of guaranteed dollars, and I do think Chicago is probably going to be willing to do that because of the Justin Fields situation and because David Montgomery has flat out broken out over the past two years. He's been the guy and the only thing stopping him is availability. So uh, I do think he's going to be a guy you see possibly franchise tagged early on in February, just to place hold that. And then they work out some sort of agreement similar to what we saw with Aaron Jones. Cincinnati, by the way, the RB two in Chicago, I know it's been a mismatch of, of guys that have been filling in the blanks, but Tariq Cohen is still in that roster. And he does it. He's recovering from the torn ACL, but he's fully guaranteed. Excuse me, 2.5 million fully guaranteed next year. So that's going to be a tough contract to move on from. And that that is guaranteed for injury, by the way. So he's got to recover. He's got to pass the physical. I have a feeling that he just sticks on the roster. He's versatile. If he's healthy, he can go. Decent backup, good out of the backfield weapon. Joe Mixon's locked in and uh, he's a restructure candidate. He's got $11.4 million cap hit next year. They're going to, they're going to flip that into a base salary restructure and save a decent amount of money to fill up that roster. Certainly the offensive line. Browns are locked in with Chubb who is fully guaranteed next year. Cream hunts in the final year of that contract next year. And he's had injury and st- uh, issues staying on the field this year, but you're getting Chubb and Hunt for a combined $11 million a cap next year. And Dearness Johnson, who did a pretty good job filling in the blanks there, uh, is an RF, uh, RFA, restricted free agent. So do you tender him at the $2.4 million low one? Probably. Hope that nobody takes a chance on him running backs. I think it's low risk. 
And that's your one, two, three punch right there for 13 and a half million of cap. And that's pretty darn good for a team that doesn't have a quarterback situation that's as exciting as it should be. So if they're going to have to run the ball, that's a pretty good one, two, three arsenal to have. Zeke Elliott. Um, you know, I think it's been a better this year than last year, certainly from a production standpoint. And the Tony Pollard's th- shine has somewhat worn off a bit. But Zeke has so much dead cap on this on this contract. Uh, it's actually more likely that they restructure him than anything else. Not a trade, not a release. I think they're going to have to restructure him to continue to fill out this offensive line situation, keep some of the the edge rushers intact. You know, Gallup is a maybe now, especially with his injury issue and heading towards free agency. He probably walks at this point. Um, but look, they can free up $9 million with a base salary restructure for Zeke. And I think they're going to have to do it. So it makes it harder to cut him after 2022 or move on from him in any capacity. But I do think that's what happens. He's a restructure. He probably gets this year and next year in terms of the next two seasons. Cause that's, that's a pretty darn strong contract. And I knew it the second he signed it. So I, I don't think that you'll see the Tony Pollard show in 2022, as some of you may be anticipating. Speaking of which, final year for Tony Pollard next year, minimum 965 salary. Uh, is there some sort of Kareem Hunt type extension? Maybe, but I think Jerry's better off just letting that ride out and then deal with Pollard as you need to. If he's con- if he continues to be this one-two punch, maybe mid-season you go, you go and try to get something done. Um or you just deal with this as you need to throughout the year. I, I don't think it's the right move to pay two running backs when you have Zeke's contract being as strong as it is from a player perspective. I think you have to get through the muck of Zeke's contract before you you put more investment into the running back position in Dallas. So I do think Pollard plays out a contract year next year, much of you know, much like Michael Gallup was asked to do this year with Cooper and Cooper locked in and uh couple of the tight ends as well. So that's my prediction for what a Dallas situation that's going to, that's going to be very difficult to keep together financially speaking in terms of a whole roster. Denver, Javante Williams is ready to take over. I think they're, they're slow playing that process right now and on a bad team. Melvin Gordon should walk to free agency and he still holds pretty good value. He signed two for 16 a couple of years ago. Just finished that out. He still holds about 5 million based on his production. Now he's 28. So that's a red flag for a lot of teams. But, you know, the Miamis, the Houstons, even the Buccaneers who are going to lose a couple of backs here. I think there's pretty good value for a player like this if you can structure it right with void years and keep the cap low. So I do think Gordon finds a new home, but possibly a really good home and decent pay. Probably not down to minimum yet. Detroit, DeAndre Swift has two years, three million left. He's extremely good value when he's on the field. And Jamal Williams, you know, one year, 3.7 left. It's a slightly high cap hit of 4.3, but what else is Detroit spending cap on right now? You know, it's they're going to be a lot of rebuilding, a lot of growing pains on that roster. So I do think that one-two punch probably works for 2022. And speaking of which, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon in Green Bay. Uh, it works. If you have to restructure Jones, you do it. Dillon's got two years and 2.3 left. There's just tons of value there, tons. And at some point, 
you're going to run that out and then extend him to be your next guy. So what was a, what was a weird draft pick when it happened? It certainly worked out on the field. And from a staggered perspective, it should work out financially speaking in the next year or two as well. Houston's got nada. David Johnson's going to walk. Rex Burkhead's going to walk. Uh, Philip, you know, there's just nobody there. They already released Philip Lindsay. So it's all, uh, and by the way, this is going to be a trend across the, the positions for Houston. They signed so many one-year contracts. If you remember, it was like 42 transactions of free agent one-year deals. It was nuts. And uh, that's just how this is going to be. You're going to see a lot of open holes, a lot of spaces. They want to fill in the blanks as they go. Some of these guys will be asked to come back. I don't think either of these running backs will, but it's going to be a spot, whether it's a high draft pick, whether it's a big free agent splash. This is going to be a landing spot for one of those running backs we're talking about on this list. The Colts know who their RB1 is, that's for sure. It's Jonathan Taylor. He cannot be extended until 2023. Two years, three million left. Tons of value. Naeem Hines, great back catching, uh, catcher out of the backfield. Three years, 14 million left. And he is fully guaranteed at 3 million through 2022. Jacksonville's weird, but you know, similar to what we were talking about in Baltimore with the injuries that should slot back into their roles. I expect Travis Etienne and James Robinson to be the one-two punch next year. I don't know why it wouldn't be. You know, Etienne certainly on the on the first year on the first round contract, <clears throat> a little bit more expensive, but he should have much more versatility. And throwing in Robinson to be the uh, three down back for the most part is something that has worked. Not so much when Urban Meyer kind of fell out of favor with him, but as the every down back in most of the situations, he has handled it well. So he's $895,000 next year. That seems to work for most teams. So I expect both these guys back. Clyde, Clyde Edwards Hilaire has an injury problem. And I don't think that's going away, unfortunately. He does have two years, three and a half million left on that first round contract, plus the fifth year option. You know, they're not going to move on at this point. They're going to ride that out. It's really good value for that, for that roster whenever they can get them. The fifth-year option may be uh, questionable at this point, but they've got a year and a half to figure that out. And uh, we'll see when we get there, I think. But I, I would expect that to be a big question mark for the next, you know, for three years down the road here. His backup, Daryl Williams, is a UFA. And this guy's got some real swag heading into free agency. Big game today against Cincinnati. You know, if he's an RB1 and a team like Houston or Miami thinks so, he's going to get big time bucks. Not, you know, not 10 million, but he's in that James Conner type role. He's in that Philip Lindsay type role where you could see there was breakout potential and you can get a suppressed one or two year deal and let this guy kind of cook on his own for a year or two. He only values at about two and a half million right now because he's been sitting behind running backs for a lot of years and, and in a passing offense. But change of scenery, change of pace. You could throw a couple extra million at that, in my opinion, and let him kind of see what he can do. Vegas, I still don't get the Kenyon Drake signing. The injury has made that worse, unfortunately. But Josh Jacobs has broken out. And not just as an 1,100-yard rusher, which he's done, I believe, two out of the three here. He's catching balls. He's going to catch 50 balls. Um, If he hasn't already, I haven't looked at the stats from today. And uh, that just changes everything. Like I said at the top of this piece, if you're a straight runner, something like a Jonathan Taylor, 
you're going to be hard pressed to get to that 15, 16 million dollar mark where, where the top dogs are right now. You know, Jonathan Taylor right now is only a 12 to 13 million dollar running back. And that's because his rushing is that much better than everybody else. But he's not catching the ball with any regularity. Jacobs now is. And when you factor that into what he can do between the tackles and at the goal line, that's going to make him very, very valuable. So as of right now, it's still a $10 million valuation because of, you know, a year and a half ago, he wasn't doing this. But as this continues to go in the next couple of weeks and now into 2022, you have to start to build that in and factor that in and project that out. And I think it's going to be pretty easy to get him to 12, all things considered, um, and maybe even more. You know, I'm not sure he's the he's ever going to be the playmaker that a that a Cook or a, or a Kamara is. So to to establish him with those kind of credibilities probably is wrong. But the cap is rising. Teams are spending more across the board. At some point in time, you know, the second tier, third tier running back is going to have to up the ante a little bit. And Jacobs has a chance to be that. So I'm, if I'm saying it's realistic that 12 happens right now, and he, by the way, he is extension eligible after this regular season, you know, this is a guy who could reach and could force the Raiders to go 14 right now, 15 right now, and get into that Zeke Elliott contract sort of situation. Austin Eckler's locked in um, somewhat next year. His one, about one and change becomes fully guaranteed in March. It's injury guaranteed now. So, you know, that's generally speaking enough to ensure that he's going to be back. And by the way, he's pretty darn good still. So I think you just take your, your, your risk with that. His backup, Justin Jackson, is a UFA. And that's a guy I put up there with Daryl Williams who could really find a bigger role on a team that needs a running back or two in the next couple of months. So I'm not sure he returns to this offense. I think he wants a bigger opportunity, a bigger role. But Josh Kelly, the fourth-round pick in 2020, has a chance to step in and just be that RB2 on a, a fourth-round rookie contract. So everybody could be winning out here at the end. The Rams. <sighs> Cam Akers tried to return today. He could not. I expect him to be back next week. They need him. <laughs> uh, Sonny Michel's really the, the success that he's had in this Rams offense came out of absolute nowhere because he was an absolute mess in, in New England for whatever reason. Couldn't figure out Bill Belichick's kind of a back and forth system, you know, changes every week kind of thing. The offensive line was just not built for this kind of running back possibly in New England. That's, you know, it happens. But the Rams are, and the Rams are built for that kind of success. So he's had a rebirth. Enough to re-sign him? I don't believe so. Sonny Michel feels like the kind of guy who goes and gets overpaid by Miami. <laughs> but uh, I think the Rams are going to live and die with Cam Akers and maybe Daryl Henderson behind him. You know, he's cheap, so you can kind of just kind of bring him back on his contract year, see what you can get out of him one last time. But there's probably a veteran, a near, you know, minimum contract veteran coming into this roster to uh, secure things. Maybe not right away. That's generally not how the, the less need likes to work. He likes to kind of just bring in, keep this the running back core trim through the summer and then plug and play as needed. But maybe he doesn't this time. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he brings in somebody right away as a competition to Henderson, uh, a, a handcuff to Agers who now has this injury history. We'll see what happens with the Rams in a lot of facets. Miami, like I said, has been running on fumes at the running back position, and they knew it. They knew they didn't address it in March. They didn't address it in the draft. So I'm not uh, entirely sure why they just kind of sandbagged this whole process, but it's, it's hurt them. 
it hurt them today for sure in, in a situation where they couldn't do much and Tua wasn't doing it with his legs. So I think they're going to be all in from a, from a free agency standpoint and a draft standpoint at this position. And they may have to overpay a little bit to do so in both regards. Minnesota's all good with Delvin Cook, fully guaranteed through next year. In fact, a full restructure on that salary next year can free up $6 million, and boy, do they need it. They're going to be right up against it with a lot of their contracts. But it could be a complete rebuilding year. You know, do they trade Cousins? Do they move on from Daniel Hunter? A lot of those defensive guys were on, were on expiring contracts. So their offseason is certainly going to be at the top of my list to watch. And uh, I can just guarantee that Delvin Cook will be part of that process. He'll be there. New England, like I said, Damian Harris, Reminder Stevenson, total gamers. Total gamers. And if you combine all of their contracts remaining, it equals $3.5 million. So Damian Harris is walking into the contract year next year on a minimum salary. Stevenson said it's three years, $2.8 million left. None of it guaranteed. It's a typical, you know what you're going to get out of New England running backs. They, they are overachieving on small pay. And if I had to guess, Bill Belichick won't pay more than $5 million for a running back. And guess what? Damian Harris currently values to $4.4 million. So there you go. James White got about $4 million in two straight contracts. I believe it was you know, three year for three for 15 around there. It's probably about what Damian Harris is setting his eyes on for. So expect some sort of movement. I would, I would think with the Harris contract in the next few months, Alvin Kamara is fully locked in, probably going to be restructured again, could free up over 8 million of cap space to do so. You know, this is a team that's 60 million over again. There's going to be a lot of carnage, a lot of casualty, but Kamara is going to be in the fold and fully restructured so that he can, uh, he can help out the rest of the team in this regard as much as possible. Mark Ingram was, ex- was extended already through 2022, you know, not fully guaranteed so much. And he did not play today. And Tony Jones has had a pretty good season as the RB three. So that's certainly something to watch a little bit, but I would, I would imagine all three of those guys come back in 2022. Barkley. Good day today. Haven't been able to say that much. He's got a $7 million fifth-year option next year that's fully guaranteed. So he's going to be back unless he's traded. And uh, I don't think the Giants are going to rip this Band-Aid off just yet in a lot of capacity. They're going to be trying to add a veteran quarterback here. They're going to try to piece this thing together immediately on the fly, and Barkley should be a part of that process. So I expect that to be one more year, and then if he's good, you can franchise tag him, and then if he's still good, then maybe you pay him. But for now, that's as good as I can give you for Saquon Barkley. Michael Carter left the Jets game today with an injury, but he's a real star. He's a, He's got a real, real chance to be up there as a versatile back. Uh, you know, Look, I think the Jets made a really couple of, uh, a couple of splashes here. Elijah Moore, that wide receiver, Michael Carter, the running back, certainly some of those defensive linemen, and, and the left tackle. And Mackay back to me. I think there's a uh, if Wilson's even slightly above average over the next season or so, Jets are a breakout team in 2022, and Carter's a reason why. So they do need to back him up at some point. Maybe Tevin Coleman comes back on a minimum salary. Maybe they bring in a different kind of veteran. Maybe they draft another third or fourth rounder and try to bring in more versatility. Try to find that Debo Samuel type player. That can help in a lot of cases. I do think that's a possibility with the Jets now because Wilson is an athlete himself. Miles Sanders is one year, one million left. 
He's the guy, if he's healthy, that's been a problem. Boston Scott's an RFA. Maybe a small extension keeps him under the fold. Probably not a bad idea. Uh, Jordan Howard is a, a UFA. I expect him to walk. That's Philly in a nutshell. Najee Harris is locked in three, 5.5 plus the fifth year option. He's going nowhere. Benny Smell entering the contract year on a minimum salary next year. That's probably how that works out. San Francisco has six running backs. I think three of them walk. I think three of them stay. I don't know if they need to add anybody. Mostert walks. He's been injured all year. Jeff Wilson probably walks. Cannon probably walks. But you've got Sermon, Elijah Milcha, Mitchell, and Jamichael Hasty. Both all three who have real, real, real high ceiling potential. So I think that's Trey Lance's first arsenal heading to 2022 right there. Seattle's weird. I, 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 I started this whole conversation with, with Rashad Penny, who has been phenomenal for a month now. And uh, he's a UFA. So is Alex Collins. I don't know what they do there. Chris Carson is having neck fusion, disc surgery. Um, he's a heck of a player. He can do a little bit of everything. But he's non-guaranteed next year. So if he can pass a physical, they can move on from him, free up $5 million, give that to Penny, or keep Travis Homer and DJ Dallas in the fold, and that's the running back arsenal for a non-Russell Wilson Seahawks offense. There's a lot of question marks, and I'm not going to speculate on Seattle. Tampa Bay, speaking of which, Fournette's a UFA. Does he take a team-friendly deal to stay with this roster? I don't know. He's been really good now for two years. Feels like his career has been completely revamped. Is that a Brady thing? Is that an Arians thing? Or is this guy really willing, you know, ready to go and get a big contract and be somebody's superstar? Could this be Miami's guy? Could this be Houston's guy? You know, there's other teams that could be all in on this and give him six million plus, which is what he's worth at his age. He's also catching the ball. I'd be hard pressed to see him leave Brady. And I think that's what happens, even though Kashawn Vaughn is big time potential. Two years, two point two million left on that contract. Certainly Ronald Jones walks into free agency. But, you know, is Vaughn enough to say, hey, this is our guy. We're going to roll with him and plug and play behind him. Or do they feel like they need to go Fournette and Vaughn to keep this thing rolling and keep themselves contenders in the NFC? Derrick Henry will be back soon. That's terrifying for AFC teams. His contract does contain an out after 2021, but I'm not crazy. He's not going anywhere. They're going to lock in that 2022 salary, probably restructure it, which is telling. If they restructure it, then he's probably here for two more years on that contract, which is good news for him and certainly good news for Tennessee. Uh, they can plug and play with a couple of things after that. Uh, you know, Darrington Evans, Jeremy McNichols, Dante Foreman are headed for free agency there. So you may have to bring somebody back to, to be that third guy behind Evans and Henry. That's pretty easy to do, though. Like I said, especially if you're restructuring Henry, maybe you restructure Tannehill, too and try to bring back everybody in terms of Harold Landry and all that, but that's an off-season conversation for later. Washington. Gibson's, uh, you know, showed enough, I think, to con contain that RB1 role for 2022. Two years, $2.2 million left on his contract. None of it guaranteed. J.D. McKissick is a pending free agent. That's one to keep an eye on. He's up there in age, but he's catching a lot of balls. He's a $4 million guy. He seems, you know, he's that classic... Patriots, bring him in, 
just throw the ball to him 60 times, hope he can find the end zone eight times. He's that kind of guy. I, that's a Houston guy for me right now, J.D. McKissick. It just seems like that kind of role. But look, Washington should really consider bringing him back and paying a little bit there to keep that offense moving in the right direction because that is not an, a run-first team. They're going to bring in a quarterback that's going to open this offensive up with Terry McLaurin or Curtis Samuel with, with uh, maybe Logan Thomas if he gets back in the fold. This is going to be a pass-first team, and McKissick is a big part of that process when he's healthy and there's a decent quarterback at play. Okay, quick rundown of the running backs. I will post this article tomorrow morning on .com. Any questions about AB and that contract or any other incentives that you're seeing on SpyTrack that, that you have concerns about or questions about, I will be doing a some of a notable breakdown of bonuses that are earned, incentives that are earned, maybe some that were just missed next week after week 18 hits and some of these things kind of come to fruition. You know, A.J. Green's getting close on a couple. There's uh, some Aaron Rodgers stuff. Brady's getting close on a bunch. So there's some big names we're going to have to keep tracking on this. And then we'll do, a, obviously, a quick recap next week on uh, a lot of these moves that impacted the regular season, right? The Matt Stafford stuff, the Carson Wentz stuff. Just uh, not so much how they got here and, and if it worked, because you'll know, you'll know next week a lot of that stuff. But just a bit of a recap as to how we got here, because if you're talking about free agent signings at the quarterback position, did it, was anybody super happy? I don't know. I don't know. We love to talk about it. We love the carousel, but I'm not sure that carousel works out as much as we want it to. And I have a feeling, even though it's a bad draft class, and we'll certainly have somebody on soon to talk about that, that's still going to be where many, many of these teams go. You know, what's Atlanta going to do to fill in Matt Ryan's shoes if and when that's 2022 or 23? You know, what does Carolina do from a quarterback perspective? Not everybody's getting Russell Wilson. Not everybody's going to have a chance at Aaron Rodgers so, and Deshaun Watson. So what happens to these teams that still need a quarterback and the draft isn't the real option this year and free agency has stunk in terms of getting a quarterback in that regard? What do we do? How do we get these teams to be relevant again? So we'll have discussions about that after the regular season concludes as a bit of a look back and uh, what's next at that position. My thanks to The Athletic. Good to have them back on board in 2022. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Track Podcast.